Glanis, um, how long have you been superintendent at Westar? So I've been a superintendent for, this is my eighth year, and prior to that I was the chief operating officer. Uh, did you start your career at uh, Questar? No, no. I started in 1983 as a teacher in Puerto Rico. There was a shortage of teachers, and for three consecutive years, the chair of the English department of my hometown went to my house and asked me if I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach English. I was, I said no. I was um, in school, I wanted to become a dentist. So year one, they asked me, I said no, I'm going to school, I want to be a dentist. Year two, they asked me, I said no. Year three, they said, would you at least go for an interview? And they hooked me. I did very well in the interview. They offered me a job. And I had the most amazing experience because I was teamed up with master teachers for the first six years of my career. And I co-taught. So I was like in an apprenticeship model. What great. So it was all great. It was uh, K through six. And then when did you leave Puerto Rico to come to the U.S.? So I worked there as, uh, for 10 years as a teacher, uh, an English teacher and a first grade teacher. I had a lot of fun with first grade as well. And then in 1993, I saw a flyer on the wall in the office of my uh, graduate school of education a program. And it said there was a fellowship for a PhD at UAB. Mm. I applied. I was on the waiting list. I wasn't accepted immediately. And then I was called last minute because one person couldn't make it. And they offered me the, mm. the position. And I said, yes. They asked me, do you want it? Yes. And I um, packed everything up and moved, uh, rented my house. And all of those great wow. things. We share a common thing. My doctorates, uh, my undergraduate and my MBA are both from Albany. My oh. doctorate's Temple, Temple, but yeah. Um, you know, Gladys, I, from that, from a, a young girl growing up in Puerto Rico to president-elect of the National Association of School Superintendents, AASA, that's a long journey. It is. It's a long journey, and it's a huge honor for me. Yeah to represent the superintendents across our great nation. And you're coming on at a really critical time for multiple reasons. Coming out of COVID, coming out during a time where the nation has been incredibly politically polarized, a time when Dan Dominich, who's been a phenomenal leader for the last 15 years, will be retiring. Uh, you're, you're taking over at a really critical time. So, you know, and if we think back and, and we think about all the issues we faced over the last couple of years, and we think about COVID, we think about the politically polarized nation, we think about the uh, issue of equity that has exploded. But we also think about, as you heard me talk about in my keynote, the explosion in technology that we haven't paid as much attention to. I know at Questar you've paid attention to all of those and in our other interviews we've talked a lot about the equity issue and some of the other issues we haven't talked in these interviews about technology 
you have done some unbelievable things at in and around technology. Can you share with us? What are some of the things you've done in and around technology at Quickstar? Sure. So uh, let me talk to you about Tech Valley High School. You know that school. It's a nationally recognized school. Um, in Tech Valley High School, we have been using technology for 15 years as their main source of so the student learning system is right on their laptop. Every student comes into that school and receives a laptop. So when COVID hit, I would say that that school was ready because every year for the past 12 years before COVID, we had remote learning days in our county. So our students were practicing. Our teachers were practicing. So they made a very easy transition. Um, that's one thing we've been doing with technology, with that school and other schools. We also have ensured we offer a lot of career technical education, technical programs, and we work together with our business partners in those fields and we make sure that we have an advisory group for each of our trades that are working in those fields and they ensure that we that our curriculum and our equipment is aligned to the standards of those trades so our students are learning with the latest equipment Yes. and the latest technology in all of those And, you know, we just uh, renovated a, a, a one of our centers. Um, center dates back to uh, Dr. John Sackett, who you knew. And that center was, you know, completely gutted and renovated. And we came to one of our meetings and I said, where is the electric vehicle module? And, but it's there. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Uh, you know, uh, Gladys, you have an interesting perspective because uh, as a district superintendent, you, you're not only over the BOCES, but you take a lead with how many districts you got in your BOCES? 23. 23. So, and you get some pretty small districts, and you got some really affluent middle class districts. Everything. You, you've got everything. That gives you a unique perspective that individual superintendents don't have who are, know their district and their community. But now we add on top of that, you've served on the executive council for AASA, now as president-elect. You not only see it for our, those 23 districts in your boss that you see for the nation. Put all that together and tell me, what do you think are our biggest challenges we're gonna face over the next two, three years in American education that we better figure out how to address? Well, I think technology is one of them because technology is moving very quickly, as you know, and changing very quickly. And we need to make sure that we stay on top of it. Because, you know, I, I feel that COVID pushed our limits in terms of technology. 
For how many years and decades have we been trying to integrate technology into the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. And we've done it, you know, we did a good job in some of our schools as I, as I shared at Tech Valley High School, doing an amazing job. But not everybody was doing it. So, um, and COVID hit, and guess what? Everybody had to do it. And we figured it out. It wasn't the best at the, front, at the beginning, right? But we figured it out and we did the best we could. We had a lot of limitations like networks, you know, some students didn't have network, you know, um, internet capacity. Um, we ensured that every student had a, had a device, uh, even if we had to bring it to their homes. Um, so that's going to be one of the challenges. Another challenge is you know, coming out of the pandemic, we all, before the pandemic, we all knew that there were rising challenges with mental health. Those have exploded. And, you know, we, we often hear about the fact that there are monies to support mental health. And now we are facing a shortage of mental health professionals. So the monies may be there, but the pipeline is not. Yeah. And you know, I just brought this up to the attention of our, um, you know, I, I asked the question, what are we doing in New York to ensure that we, um, that there is a pipeline of mental health professionals? Because recently one of my counties shared with me, here's a grant um, for mental health support. And she said to, and she said in the email, I'm sorry we cannot partner with you at this time. We don't have the professionals. So that's going to be a We need to put incentives into education, into a lot of areas, so that we can attract individuals to going in, to go into these fields. You know, I didn't land in as an educator, as I shared with you, just by, it, it was by chance. I wanted to be a dentist. Um, so, the opportunity arose, I took it, and here I am almost 40 years later. But we need to, I almost feel we need to do a national campaign to attract those young people into careers in education, careers in mental health, social, all of these, because we have a huge shortage of workers, mathematics, science. Special ed. Special ed, you know, it's, it, 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 so that's going to be, you know, filling those positions is going to be a huge task. You know, we're creating our own solutions locally. I partnered with the, the University at Albany to do a pilot uh, with teaching assistants and career technical ed teachers, where we offer them stackable micro-credentials. All the courses are remote, online courses, where they get credits that they can then use to get certified as teachers. So I thought, you know, so when in talking about this pilot, I said, well, let's do it for 12 individuals. And you Albany said, why don't we put in 20 just in case to give ourselves a little buffer. That's okay. We had a wait list. Mm -hmm. So I have a cohort of 20 going through this program. Uh, good for you. And um, getting, the, and they're so happy. Mm -hmm. 
they see me, wherever they see me, when I walk around the schools, they say, thank you so much for doing that for us. And I say, thank you for putting your time in for your professional growth um, and for being willing to take the, you know, the next steps to become a certified TA or a teacher, which is where we, you know. So that's going to be another uh, challenge. And then, you know, we have a lot of political issues and a narrative around a lot of things that are really mistaken. Mm -hmm. um, so we, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, equity. <laughs> I think everybody does, but then it's, um, it, it, it's just taking and given a, another definition and taken out of context. Um, so I think we're going to have to deal with a lot of those, um, yeah. uh, you know, narratives. Yeah, we, I, I often say, Gladys, we, we have this tendency in American education to use these broad-stroking terms because we try to have them encompass everything. And so, like, critical race theory, right. even SEL. And then you get somebody who would like to uh, take us on a little bit. They'll, they'll define it totally inappropriately. But we, we didn't define it well enough to begin with. Yeah, I, yeah I, I went to a district this past, uh, this past semester. They wanted me to go speak to the board about DEI and CRT. I said, okay. I spoke to the superintendent. Um, I prepared. I uh, there was a room full of individuals, and um, I started by defining the terms, mm -hmm. what it is and what it is not. Yeah, I think and that is so important. Yeah, you know, when you're talking about this, the mental health issues, one of the statements I'm making increasingly, and I think all of us working on learning 2025 are going to have to come to grips with is I think we have a workforce design problem yeah. and it's based upon this fact that as you know the Commission's first recommendation is we're about the whole learner right. yes we are academic institutions but we are more than academic institutions but we are still basically staffed as an academic institution and everything else is somehow an appendage to that uh, my hope is we can begin to take a deeper step back and say, what's, what's the whole staffing? What should it look like? And, and I'm going to give you a parallel. Uh, my daughter and son-in-law began a medical practice uh, in 2000. The change in the medical community from 2000 to 2022, they have completely gone through a workforce design change because the, the medical profession used to be basically your MD with a few support staff and, and we go back to 2000. One in four workers in the medical field were MDs. Uh, Pre-pandemic, it was one in seven. It's projected by 2025 to be one in 19. They've gone to a new organizational structure. I'm wondering if we got to do something like that in education. 
Well, we have to do something because we can't find uh, the, the person. I know that ASU is talking about um, a different approach in design where you bring teams, right? And they have, I, I like some of the terms they use, like success coach. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so I, we have to do something different because um, we're not we're we're not finding the professionals, and we have the children with us, mm -hmm. and we have to make sure that we give them what they need. So I would love to see some um, changes. So that'll probably be another project I do down the road. Okay. Mix well, it up. Good. <laughs> a couple years down. So, um, Gladys, uh, any other things you'd like to share you think we ought to be thinking about, like to share with potential uh, districts of learning 2025 or with other superintendents? Any other thoughts you just want to share? Well, I, I, I think during the pandemic we learned that we can't be Silent. and we we can't do this work together uh, alone we need to collaborate we need to partner with others education 2025 really allows you to come together with other superintendents and teams from across the nation that's what this summit is all about you know and learning from each other because there's so much to learn when you bring diverse groups together. I'm a believer of collective wisdom. Mm -hmm. Collective wisdom is greater than individual wisdom any day. So it's important that if uh, you want to expand your horizon as a superintendent, join initiatives like 20, Education 2025. Great. Gladys, thank you. Thank and thanks you. for all you're doing. Thank you. Great.